one of the daily battles that we face as Christians is how are we a Christian at work and what does that look like? What does that mean? Today we're going to explore that just a bit in the book of Proverbs, what it means to be a good employee at work. This sermon was originally recorded at Castle Rock Middle School, October 20th, 2013. Next week, next week, it will be celebrating the Reformation, which is uh, Martin Luther pounding the 95 Theses on October 31st. So we're going to celebrate that as a church, and that's kind of an important key thing. And then we'll pick this back up for two more weeks where we mostly talk about money. Up to this point, we've been talking about the work end of it, and then we'll talk about from the book of Proverbs, what are some truisms that Solomon has when it comes to talking about money and things like that. So I think it'll be interesting. I think it'll make for um, good conversation in your grow groups. I think you'll enjoy it. Um, just to review a little bit, though, where we've come from, we, the first week we, we made a distinction between um, there is not a dichotomy of good things that are spiritual and then the things that are physical on this earth. That's a made-up thing. Plato kind of came up with that, and Christians have kind of run with it for a bit. But really, uh, how that plays out when you're talking about work is some people have an idea that I'm <laughs> just looking at the poor heat that is just on everybody here. Um, the way that Christians look at it sometimes is saying that if you're working in spiritual things, you're doing the things of God, that means you have a good job. This is like A+, plus. you're in the NFL of Christianity. And if you're not, you're in the CFL, and this doesn't quite, it's not quite the same level and not quite as good. But that's not true. When the way Scripture talks about it, and I think we uh, brought this up in a quote from C.S. Lewis. Uh, this was in our grow groups, but I think it makes some sense. It says, the work of a Beethoven and the work of a charwoman, which is someone who cleans houses, become spiritual on precisely the same condition, that of being offered to God, of being done humbly, as to the Lord. This does not, of course, mean that it is for anyone a mere toss-up whether he should sweep rooms or compose symphonies. A mole must dig to the glory of God, and a cock must crow. So the second part, obviously, it's saying God has given us um, very different skills, and we should use those skills. You shouldn't say, what is the easiest thing I can do on this whole planet? That's really not the question. The question is, how can I use the gifts that God has given me on this planet? The first part, though, is the one we're looking at. He says, from a spiritual basis, if you are so skilled that you can make symphonies that we're still talking about 500 years later, does that make you a better worker? Does that make you more holy in God's eyes than someone who's cleaning houses and no one remembers it? On a spiritual basis, the answer is no. If you offer this humbly and you do it as to the Lord, this is really the same thing in God's eyes, no matter what you do. As long as you're giving God glory, you're doing this humbly, all the same basis. C.S. Lewis didn't make this up. Actually, um, God did. So he says this in Colossians. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Jesus Christ you are. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. The sermon really could end here, couldn't it? And no comments, because those are hard to edit out uh, when we go back. But it's... It, it really could end here because this is the principle. If you work in such a way, you go about your business as a student, as a parent, as a worker, in such a way that you're saying, I'm going to work as if I'm working for the Lord, this is kind of all done. It's, that's it. The kids understand this kind of concept too. Remember they came up here and I said, oh, what are three things that we can do to be good kids? And uh, Eli had a good point. He said, be good. Awesome. But is that very specific? I can say I'm coaching six-year-olds, helping to coach six-year-olds in this football team, and I could say to him the game, okay, guys, go do well. Do they have any idea what that exactly means? And the same thing I can do to you, you're much older and you're much more mature and you understand these things, and I can say, just go do a good job at work. 
Now, you're trained, hopefully, at your job, but we should, I think it makes some sense, look at Scripture to say, what are some principles, that, what are some takeaways that we can say, here's how God talks about these things. So before I go a little bit farther, I think there's a question people often have. This is the most often question that I get when people are saying, like, how do I be a Christian at work? It's this. Should I be evangelizing at work? Is that like on your brain? Yes and no. So I'll just let that sit in here for a second, and you're like, really? The pastor's going to say you shouldn't be evangelizing? Well, yes and no. You're going to have opportunity, I think, on the positive end. You'll have opportunity no matter what job you have, no matter public sector, anything, to witness to your um, work ethic, how you do things, and you will have opportunity if you're doing your job to witness to your faith. I guarantee it. It's just going to come up in the way that you do things. However, if your reasoning is, I should be using uh, this thought that says, I should be using my work time to do the most holy good things that I could do, which would be like reading my Bible, uh, doing my volunteer work for church, and evangelizing the person next to me in the cubicle. There's also, if this was the only principle that we had in Scripture, you'd be in good shape. If Scripture just said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and there was no other parts in Scripture, I would really push on this and say, this is what you should be doing. However, Scripture also says don't steal. You've been employed to do a job, so that's really stealing. So you have to be very careful at saying, like, just because there's good things that result in the end does not necessarily mean it's a good thing. Okay? A little bit of, a little bit of off pressure, but look for opportunity. Secondly, though, um, as you think about, okay, I'm going to do my job to the glory of the Lord, and I, it is seriously like 110 up here. Celsius. <laughs> the, um, I feel like I'm on the Apollo 13 mission where the heat shields are failing. Okay, so... Uh, got my train of thought again. Okay, so as you try and decide, like, how exactly do I go do my job? How do I be a parent? How do I do my job in such a way that serves the Lord? Some of you, this isn't that difficult, right? You're thinking, okay, I'm really excited. I like my job. I want to do it as if I'm serving the Lord. My job, that's pretty easy because most of this direct correlation, some of you might just hate your job, though. So is there anyone who hates their job? And if your boss is in here, you don't have to raise your hand, but you can kind of just kind of I kind of hate my job. If you're a mom, you're not allowed to raise your hand. If you're a stay-at-home mother, you're just kind of say, Lord, help me enjoy my job. So, so the question is this. What, it's not there either? Okay. I hate my job. How do I work at it for the Lord? Well, it could be that God has given you this job. There's a proverb that says, um, basically, we'll look at it later, but food gotten by, Ill, by fraud tastes like honey. But in the end, it's a mouthful of gravel. And I think that proverb can be flipped a little bit. And if you understand, uh, you've met people that are still looking for the easy, quick fix to gain cash. They're still looking for the easy job. They're still looking about some dream job they talk about they got like 10 years ago. The worst thing that can happen to you in gambling is win, right? The first time you go. The worst thing that can happen to you in the job world is you have an awesome job to start. Because then it's all downhill. I met a guy who, uh, he worked insurance. He was doing really well. He used to work computers during the uh, dot-com boom. He got paid mad cash. Well, it's mad cash to me, like 10 grand a month to do this sales job. He loved it. And then he got canned. He's like, yeah, the company went out of business. Well, maybe because they paid you too much. You know, that's what I was thinking. But, and now any other job, though, he was disappointed. Like every other job, he's, he still brings this up. I'm like, really? That's like 10 years ago. 
Or maybe the industry was a lot better before and it was way easier. Maybe you sell houses or something and it goes really well. It goes really well. Really, and then there's a downtime and all you can think about is how easy and how wonderful it was before. That's like the worst thing that can happen to you. The best thing that can happen to you in a job, if you're like, I hate my job currently, that's not such a bad thing. Because you say, maybe the Lord is building character in me. Maybe the Lord is doing something inside of me. Maybe the Lord is helping me appreciate some later job that I have. I'm just guessing, of the people that do like their job, not a lot of people raise their hand that they can't stand it. Some did. Okay, of the people that do like their job, is this the first job you've ever had in your life? How many of you are still paper boys? I'm sorry, paper girls or boys, paper carriers. Does anyone still deliver newspapers? No, I mean, you get jobs, and it's a good thing that you have this job that you don't really like. So I deliver papers. I don't do the job. I didn't, like, when I was 12 years old, I didn't say, it's now time that you become a pastor. I still had to deliver papers, and I had to serve custard, and I had to clean up tables, and I had to be a host, and I had to uh, work at the lumber yard and drive the Zamboni and do all these other jobs. Some of them are really cool, and some are not. Good. Paint crew, which sounds really majestic and awesome, and all I did is sand doors, and the paint guy would come by. He only used a filter. I've told you about Phil before. He didn't wear a mask when he would spray. He would just use a cigarette, so he just had the cigarette in his mouth and be like, I'm like, Phil, you are going to die. What was that? And his face would be full of paint. You know, it was, this is how Phil worked. This is where I worked, which made me say, I don't think I want Phil's job when I get older. So you learn these things, right? Is it a good thing that you don't have the job you have permanently when you're 12 years old? Has anyone ever seen the show Doogie Howser? Now, as a kid, I thought this was awesome. Like, Doogie Howser is so smart that he can be a doctor, and I thought, this is awesome. He hangs out with Vinny. He makes mad cash. This sounds like a cool deal. Now, if I have operable cancer... And I go to the waiting room and, you know, I sit in the room and then this is the doctor that shows up. This relationship is not going to work. This is not going to work for me because the closest thing you've done is operate on video games. You're not going to operate on me. This is not going to work. You're 12 years old. The same thing is true as a pastor, right? Is this a good thing that I'm not a pastor at 12 years old? You have marital problems and I'm like 14 and you come to me and you're like, pastor, we're having marital problems. I'm like, yeah, my gerbil spike too. You know, like, I understand. Like, would this, would this be a comfort to you? No. So all I'm saying is this. With that proverb, if you flip it, if you put in your time now, if you, if you take your gravel, whatever you can get now, I think the Lord will change. It's a truism, but I think the Lord will change that into honey. And I think you probably found that. There's jobs you hate, you suffer through it, and you say, I'm learning something from this, and you start to appreciate the things you later on get to do. Because ultimately, I was just working with Owen the other day at doing his handwriting. Kids are very creative in how they make their letters for their handwriting. So I was working with him, but he's trying, right? And I could point, oh, let's try it this way, and, do, and it's going better and better. Is it easier to teach someone who's moving and trying than it is to teach someone who's sitting on the couch? If he's sitting on the couch, I'm like, hey, let's learn some handwriting. I don't think that's going to be a good give and take that goes on. The same, I think, is true with the Lord. No matter what your status now, you can't just sit in a chair and say, Lord, things aren't good. I hate my job. I'm going to just wait here until you reveal to me the ultimate job for me. I don't think it functions that way. I think you get what you can. You work and you work and you do the best you can. And God guides you, hopefully, in something. And you pray, Lord, give me something that I enjoy much more, something that I can even give you glory that, uh, that I'm going to enjoy. <laughs> Doogie Hauser, awesome. Uh, so a couple of principles that we run into in the book of Proverbs. So we just covered a couple things. You don't have to, A, be evangelizing at all times at work, and B, 
as we look at it, um, sometimes your job is not something you're going to enjoy. That does not mean you can't give God glory as you do it. This is from the book of Proverbs. We'll hit a few general principles, and this is not by any means um, all-inclusive as we talk about it. The Lord detests uh, dishonest scales, but accurate weights find favor with him. This one's pretty simple, right? So when you go to jo- your job, you should be honest. This, for some of you, is going to be more difficult. And I don't mean that you're shady people, but you're going to have more and more opportunity to try and bend things a little bit. If you're a contractor and be, be honest on how many hours did this take me, if you're going to give estimates, to be honest in the estimate, if you're going to give fees and things like this, this is a little bit more tricky, a little bit more tricky. Uh, for some of you, you have to say, I'm going to be honest. I'm not going to s- uh, jump over the law. I'm not going to do all these things. If it's going to cost $800 and you tell the person 600 knowing the whole time it's going to be 800 that's not honest work. It's not honest work when you said, it, it'll take me uh, four hours of work. Sorry, you know, things came up and it takes me five hours of work, even though the whole time you knew this is five hours. So what does it mean to be an honest Christian at work? It means putting in the time so that your estimates are honest, your deadlines make sense, and you're being straightforward with someone. This is, uh, why is that important? Uh, I don't know if you can see that. I don't even know the name of this street, but I did find a picture of it. When I went to buy a diamond uh, for Amy for her anniversary, I think I've told you the story, but I went to Antwerp, and you get off the train, and you look, and you get off, and it looks just like that. This is a picture of it across the train station. It's a huge train station. As far as you can see, there's diamond stores. And so my job is to find a particular diamond in these diamond stores where their native tongue is not even English. So this is in Belgium. So I go there, and I try various stores, and I look. How do I have any idea the person's being honest with me? You don't. So I go, and I pick out a diamond. It says this and this. I'm like, okay, seems like a good price. Um, I don't know. This isn't the Shane company. It's not a friend in the diamond business. So I, I go, and I ask the guy, like, can, can I have someone else look at it? And I don't know, it could have been his brother. And as he walks in, he was Jewish, so, because um, his wife was, uh, she had a book, and I read the cover of it, so then she was, I was her favorite, because she thought I knew all Hebrew, and I, I didn't know all Hebrew. So she starts speaking to me in Hebrew, I'm like, ah, shalom. <laughs> um, so we go down, we go down a few stores, and takes it to the other guy, and it's not in the package now, and the guy looks at it, and he weighs it, and he, he says, it's this weight, so I'm like, okay, that's the same weight, the other guy said, and then he goes through the C's. At, how many C's are there again? Three, four, something like that? Five? Cost? Is five? Is the fifth one cost? I, don't, I thought there was like four. Color, cut, clarity, convenience. No, I don't, I don't know. I don't know all the four C's. But we went down, and that gentleman looks at it and says, well, actually, I think it would be closer to this. It was a nicer, clearer than the guy actually had it labeled. And that was a great relief to me when I went back to the U.S. and I bought that diamond. And the guy said, well, yeah, I would actually rate it a little bit higher than it says on this package. So what kind of sense does that give to me as a customer? This guy is above board. And then somehow when he's working his money schemes to get, I don't know how this all worked. I had to use all my traveler's checks. I had to go to my, I told you my credit card, which I had to overpay because my balance, I mean, uh, I think my credit limit was $500 or something. So then I had to call the credit card company and say, I want to transfer more money than I actually have on the limit. They're like, you can't do that. Well, I'm going to do that. So then I did that, and then, of course, they can't deny it. So all these things work out, and they come home, and what can I say? There's a sense of honesty that says I didn't get taken. A lot of you have an opportunity where your business is based on the integrity that you put forward. It's based on a sense of trust that says, here's what I do. Here's the product I'm going to give. The Bible says that's a biblical thing. 
Uh, do you see someone skilled in their work? Uh, this is a truism now. It's not a promise. Do you see someone skilled in their work? They will serve before kings. What would you do for a good mechanic? How many of you have good auto mechanics that you have no doubts whatsoever? Is it your dad or something? <laughs> this is a rare thing in the whole planet. I'm not throwing auto mechanics under it. We came here and someone said, you've got to go to this particular auto mechanic that's right across the street from the library because I don't want to say any names. Uh, it's on the north side of the library if you're looking. But, so we go there for our air conditioning and they said, hey, it's going to be 556 bucks or something like that to fix your air conditioning. And Amy and I are like, that is a lot of money, but it is so hot in this room right now and it is so hot outside. So we, we said, let's do it. You know, this is pretty important. We do that. We get another phone call that says, well, we got another issue. That didn't fix it. So then it went up again. And so then we're already like, we're 556 bucks into it. All right, fine. So then it became 800 soon. What did it end up like 1500 or more? That's the moment I said, I'm going to fix my own car from now on, honey. So uh, it went to this astronomical fee. And I said, you know, I'm kind of done here forever. And then someone said, hey, you should try my mechanic, whose name is Charlie. He's the guy who works at Castle Rock Auto. It's not a very nice-looking place. You walk in, and uh, one time I had to get a wheel bearing pressed, and you're like, you're such a dork. Uh, but I had to get this wheel bearing pressed because I couldn't do it at my home, and I thought about trying to do it, like step on it and stuff. I can't do it. So you need a press. Charlie says it'll cost you this, 30 bucks, because it's 60 bucks an hour. It'll cost you 30 bucks. It takes my guy half an hour. I'm like, awesome. So I take in my wheel bearing, take in the part. Charlie works on it. His friend works on it to the guy for over an hour. He comes back. He's like sweating. He comes back. He's like, it's done. He was not pleased at all. So this is like the moment of truth, right, with me and Charlie. So I stand up, and he knows I'm a pastor, so maybe he thinks lightning bolts are going to kill him or something. But so I stand up, and uh, so what is it, Charlie? He's like, 30 bucks. Like, he never even said, like, it took my guy way longer. It was such a pain. Your problem was the part. No, he just said, I told you 30 bucks, 30 bucks. So I pay him. That is an honest man. And what happens when you are honest and you do things with skill in your workplace? Your reputation grows and people say, so if you're a parent, you want to be a good parent. Not the best parent ever, by the way. If you're an engineer, you want to be a very, very tremendous engineer. Not the best engineer ever because the difference is just degrees and amount of time that it takes away from all other things is a lot. So be a tremendous engineer. Be a tremendous employee. Be a, trend, a tremendous student. Do the best you can with the things that God has given you, and your reputation will spread. I thought I witnessed this once. Uh, they had a building project up in Thornton when I was there, and they had to do groundwork on it, so they were building a brand new church. So this is how it works. When Jared is there, the church is 300. I leave. The next year, it becomes 400 people. So I thought, that is really, that's awesome for the next guy. But we didn't get to see that kind of things. But they're building this church, and they needed some groundwork done. And the guy said, hey, I give you a great price on it. And so he gets his backhoe and he does it. And I remember having a conversation with him. And he said, yeah, it's like just an extension of my arm because he looked like he was really pretty good, right? And I thought, this is cool. He's moving around and everything's leveled and perfect. And I thought, wow, oh, that guy was really good. So I, this, normally I should say, I'm witnessing a man who is so skilled at his job. Well, I get, go to the meeting then that next week, every Tuesday you met with the building committee. And <laughs> the contractor, his face is red. He was so livid. And we're like, what's the problem? He's like, are you kidding me? Who was the guy who did your dirt work? And we're like, what do you mean? He's like, the guy. Oh, my goodness. We had to spend a whole day. He had to get his landscaping friend for a whole day. He ran over all the stakes, and they had to get, like, their little bobcats and fix all the stuff he had done. Did that person do it with skill? No. On the other end, 
I got a water pipe broke in Washington, which is how I got a, a remodeled office. I prayed, Lord, help me remodel my office, and he had a water pipe break above it, so that was perfect. It was nine by nine, and then it doubled in size. I got to take over another room. I was slowly expanding. It was like uh, uh, the game Risk. I was going to keep that office going until it went all the way down the church. But we need to get, it had like the popcorn ceiling because it was like this 70s building and this, the walls were all beat up, maybe because I hung a ton of pictures of different things on the walls. And that, the guy across the fence who was having a bar, hard time, I would talk to once in a while and he said, hey, you know, I do sheetrock stuff. I'm like, okay, you want to help with this project? So I hire him to do this and I'm thinking this is, I'm thinking this is going to be the backhoe all over again. And he's going to do, yeah, we'll just you'll skim it and we'll make it smooth. I'm like, okay, has anyone done sheetrock work here before? It looks good for about four minutes, and then mine, like, I had it too wet and the seams dried, and I'm like, why didn't I just pay someone to do this? So I give it to uh, the guy across the, the fence. When he got done, it was gorgeous. It, like, it was something to behold. Like, with a flashlight, you could shine it on the wall. It was just, everything was, popcorn ceiling, he scraped it, perfect. He charged me less than he said it was going to be. He estimated it was like 700 bucks. He's like, oh yeah, I got done early, so like 650. I'm like, this, I didn't think anyone was perfect, but this guy, it, this guy is perfect. This was awesome. I, I wanted him to sheetrock like the whole church and do everything he could. That is the difference, right? It, your reputation will get out. So we got a couple things covered so far. A, uh, be honest in your work, and B, be skilled. This one sounds a little bit similar. Uh, I'm going to come back to that one, actually. This one's not in there. There's a proverb that says... Um, be diligent with your hands, and laziness leads to slave labor. There's a survey that talks about diligence, and what I mean by diligence is being, there's a difference, I think, being skilled at what you do and diligent. Wouldn't you agree? You could be the best sheet rocker at your company, but you also could just be the laziest. You've been in companies where the most skilled person is not necessarily the most diligent, and Scripture says a couple things. Not only be skilled at what you do, but be diligent at it. They did a survey that's talking about how do employees waste their time at work. What do you think the number one thing is? Did it, the internet? I should just say, how do people waste their life? And the number one answer would be the internet. They said 41%. And here's some of the reasons why from the survey. They did this in Forbes.com. Number one reason for slacking at work is that they don't feel challenged enough at their job. Isn't it like, I'm wondering, A, when did they take this survey? Do you think they did it while they were at work on the internet? I'm like, hmm. Interesting. But they don't feel challenged enough at work, which to me is like humble bragging that somehow makes it seem like it's okay to slack. Other excuses. They waste, uh, they work too many hours, so it's the company's fault. Uh, the company doesn't give sufficient incentive to work harder. They're unsatisfied with their career. And the only honest response here is they're just bored. All right, so that's the, I worked at, I'm not going to ask you how much time you spend. And if you ever see the stats for fantasy football, how much time, guys? Did someone just hit somebody? <laughs> okay. So some of you, this could be an issue. This could be an issue, right? At home or addicted to your phone. or addicted, and The same thing is true at work. And they said, like, they have policies to try and figure it out so you can't go to outside sites. People aren't dumb, and you can figure out ways to do that. That is, again, the principle we're talking about. What has your employer paid you to do? To do a job and to do it all late. Is it a good thing? Again, does it, if good things result from this, is it good to send your wife flowers? Well, sure, but should you be doing that on company time? No. Now everyone feels completely guilty. 
worked at the, the lumber yard and they had to deal with the, the time clock. And the time clock said this, if you were three minutes late, it didn't mark you off. It, it estimated by 15 minutes. And you could actually, if you worked eight minutes of a 15 minute period, it gave you the full 15 minutes. So what do you think happened with the employees as it came up to, uh, we'd get done at five, so it'd be like 4.52, uh, all the guys would just be like hanging out. 4.53, boom, and they're done. Is that being the most honest with your time? No. My wife just went to a conference, and she's uh, a more holy woman than I am. She went to a conference, she left early, and I'm thinking, that's how I would do it, probably. And then I said, well, do you tell your boss that? And she's like, well, yeah, of course. That is an example of being honest with your time. She would have been paid all eight hours for this conference. They left early because it didn't seem like things worthwhile, and they said, you know what, we're not going to do it. And on their timesheet, it'll say, we left early. That's being ultra honest. So A plus, Amy. So other things that we're talking about, being skilled, we've got be diligent, uh, be skilled, be honest. And this one says, the one who guards a fig tree will eat its fruit. That's not the principle we're going to talk about. Um, and whoever protects their master will be honored. You'd think this is like a Jim Collins thing, but if you want to do well at work, take care of your boss. Take care of your boss means show up on time. Take care of your uh, boss means you get things done. Take care of your boss means when they ask you to do something, it is done and they don't have to worry about it. And the most simple things, if your boss can say, here's what I need, and you say, okay, and they can just forget about you, you're the ultimate employee they've ever had. It's like the 80-10 rule. Someone just explained to me, uh, I just overheard, I should say, and now I'm just pulling it into a sermon. They had to fire someone at work because the girl was habitually late. And this, this makes sense. Everyone's like, okay, that makes some sense. But when they sat down in the meeting to say, like, you know, this is not good. You've been late a number of times. And she said, are you telling me it's my fault there's traffic? And they said, well, you know, what about this other instance? And she said, are you saying it's my fault that my alarm didn't go off? This is not taking care of your boss. And that's where we're going with it. Taking care of your boss is saying taking personal responsibility for all things and getting it done. So where do we sit now? Take care of your boss, be diligent, be skilled, be honest at work. And it all swings back to, could this fit under the umbrella, work as if you're working for the Lord? Solomon, though, is an interesting guy in a sense. Um, he's not David. And if you read Ecclesiastes chapter 2, and you think of the book of Ecclesiastes, what phrase do you think of in your head? It's meaningless. You read all of chapter 2, he says, I tried to make myself happy, I tried to build stuff, I tried to work, I tried all these things, you know, it's all meaningless. It may feel like that, and I think this is the biggest jump, this is the most difficult thing in your job, is to say, how can I show that my job has meaning on a bigger scale? Like, how does my job have meaning in the kingdom of God? U.S. Mint tried to do this, they hired, they had this, um, a thing where all, any employee from the lowest to the highest could apply, and they went to this retreat, and they came up with, I think they call them infographics, is that what they're called? To show, like, what is involved with making a coin. So now, if you go to the Mint, you can see this poster on the wall that they made at this retreat. And the reason why it's reasonably famous in the business world is because it was so important for people who felt like, my job doesn't really mean anything. But they can see, where does this plug into the bigger picture and the final product? Maybe you feel like that. And the challenge to you is to say, as a mom, 
who stays at home, it doesn't feel like I have the same meaning, but where does it sit? You're, you're training up the next Peter, James, and John, and Mary, and all these other disciples. That's your function. And it's got meaning in the big picture of things. If you're a dad, you say, I wish I could be doing more at something. I wish I could be doing more stuff at church. Sometimes dads will say to me, and I say, no, you're doing a job to take care of your family. And when your family does not have this stress of saying, where are we going to live? What are we going to eat? And they have a sense of comfort. It's a little bit easier to say, and here's the ultimate comfort that comes in Jesus. I don't know what your job is, all of us. But I know the difficult part is saying, where exactly does my job function in the greater kingdom of God? Solomon said it's all meaningless, but Solomon also had some spiritual issues, didn't he? Plenty. He's not David. And what we're trying to do is say, how do we focus in on saying, with the, uh, where do we focus with Christ? Ultimately, we're going to point to Jesus, aren't we? When you go through these series, the room actually did, people started to avert their eyes when we talked about wasting time with the internet at work. Because I think probably everyone here at some point wastes time doing things like that, or you waste time doing other things, or you waste time doing things. You, in, in a sense, you're like, I'm actually stealing from my employer. I don't feel... I, there's plenty of reasons to justify it, isn't it? I'm, I, I'm so smart that my job is easy, that people said, or it's uh, all these other things. I'm, uh, they haven't challenged me. They haven't given me incentive. None of us are perfect employees. None of us have done our very best on every project. None of us have always been upright and honest in all aspects of our jobs. So then you look at your Savior and you say, Lord, you have. And God, who's a perfectionist, can look at him and say, well done, good and faithful servant. He can look and say, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. In perfection every single day. To me, that's the most amazing part about Jesus. His death, I think I would die for my own kids, but the idea to do something every single day to perfection is utterly amazing. It's, it's unbelievable. Because we go through stints, right? Have you gone through stints? of doing things well for a while, like you have the perfect work week, then the next week, not so awesome. Kind of works like that when you're a student. You get an A-plus on a test. How do you usually do on the next one? Not quite as well. Because it just feels like Jesus relentlessly every single day, and why did he do that? So that our own laziness, our own unskilled work, our own uh, undiligence, if that's a word, can be forgiven, and he can say, come to me. In the end, it's grace. In the end, it's God's grace. It's grace that you get to do the job you do. It's grace that you have the ability to be able to do a job. And God says it makes some sense that you have this ability to do it with diligence, to do it with skill, to do it honestly, and to do it so that you can look out for the people who hired you. And in the end, serving the Lord, not your boss. Amen.